Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode nine of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Good evening. <laughs> yes. Uh, last podcast we did um, a recap of the Nebraska BYU game, specifically for people who are fans of Nebraska. And so, for those of you who maybe aren't as interested in Nebraska-specific discussions, or those of you who are and are also interested in the national perspective on things, this is going to be our podcast where we recap the biggest, uh, most important games and the biggest upsets of the past week, kind of what's been going on, and also preview what's coming up in week two. Um, so before we dive into that, uh, we're going to kick this podcast off with our customary drinking of a alcoholic beverage. All righty. Yeah, we're not promoting anything or anything, right, Alex? <laughs> but I, it's my turn uh, now. I, uh, my liver's had a little chance to recover from the weekend, and so I'm ready for a cold beverage here as we approach uh, you know, midweek. Here we go. Oh. Ah. Sounds good. <laughs> yes, sir. All righty then. So um, we're going to kind of just dive into the uh, the national games, the important games from this past weekend, Talking, starting with the uh, Big Ten teams of note. The uh, most obvious one being the Ohio State-Virginia uh, Tech game that aired on Labor Day and was the big kind of something a lot of people were looking forward to because it was our first time seeing... Ohio State, the number one ranked team, you know, going up against the team that beat them last year. So it was a great story from the media perspective. And I was kind of watching the game in and out, keeping an eye on the score. And I was kind of kicking myself at one point because in the second half, the first half, first quarter, I should say, Ohio State got up pretty quickly. Then Virginia Tech went on a great streak in the second quarter and was actually in the lead at halftime. And I got kind of excited thinking that this might be a more interesting game then their uh, starting quarterback gets hurt in the third quarter and Ohio State just goes on an offensive rampage and makes the score uh, 42 to 24 by the end so the score doesn't reflect how close it was at one point that is true it was close for a little while but the, the, the differential in talent and the execution level of Ohio State's athletes, just the guys that they have that are difference makers, just kind of eventually emerged and separated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, you know this uh, combo of their good quarterback and having Braxton Miller as an H back definitely showed itself to be a threat this early in the season, which a lot of people were predicting. Absolutely. Now you know a lot of people have have predicted Ohio State to do well this year. But an awful lot of them are saying, well, they're not going to repeat. They're just too hard to repeat, all that sort of stuff. I would say that uh, I don't know if I've actually said this on air, so I want to say it now uh, early in the season. But from the very get-go, you know, in the, when I watched the Big Ten Network's uh, preview of, uh, you know, where they visited the campus and, and the practices of Ohio State, and I saw the interviews of Urban Meyer and his team, I was convinced at that point that I was watching – uh, a, prim, uh, a, a a preview of, of uh, basically a repeat of the of the 1995 Nebraska Cornhuskers who repeated as national champions after the 94 championship, and just the focus, the conversations, the the words being used by both the coaches and the players, 
I have uh, a strong feeling that Ohio State is going to go uh, run the table and win the national title and be and go down as one of the best teams of all time. Is that a statistic, like how many teams have had back-to-back national championships? You know, oh, they're not, there's not very many. I mean, particularly in the post-World War II era, you know, there were so many national champions being uh, crowned in the pre-World uh, War II era that it's, it's, you can't even talk about it. But, but really, if you start, let's say, from like the 1950s, somewhere in that mid-1950s, when, when things kind of stabilized after World War II is over and everything like that, and, uh, and you had what, what I would call the modern era of college football began, um, there haven't been a lot of repeat national titles. Mm-hmm. Not very many. Very few. No. And, and I just remembered um, this was something we wanted to preface the podcast with. Um, and I know you have more to say on this, Dad. Just in general, you know, that college football fans are a passionate bunch, you know, in general, just as the nature of the sport. Um, and that it's our in our nature to overreact to things. And so just to keep, ev- keep everything in context for everybody, it's week one. There's a lot of college football left to be played, so no need to be saying that, you know, one conference is clearly better than the other this early out of the gate. That's right. And, and, and that's one of those things where, you know, there's so much airtime to fill both on radio and TV, Alex, that all these people start, you know, writing articles or, or making comments, you know, about one thing or another and, and starting to overplay, you know, whatever it is. And in this case, there's already a lot of national, you know, you know noise about, oh, the Big Ten had a bad first weekend because they had all these losses, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, the reality is if, if someone wants to look objectively at what took place in the games, not just the final score, but what took place in the games and, and understand where, where different teams might be at, uh, I'm not worried about where the Big Ten resides relative to other conferences. And, and these SEC coaches that are already trying to pound the drumbeat, it, it sounds like they, got a, uh, they all got an email from the SEC conference commissioner's office saying, hey, everybody needs to pound the, the same message that Ohio State's schedule's weak, they don't play any teams that are in the top 20 and all this stuff, and we play seven or eight. Well, that's because the top 20 right now is a joke because there are 10 teams from one conference. I guarantee you there are not 10 teams from the SEC conference that are part, part of the top 25. They're not. And by the end of the year, that won't be the case. Right. But yet, you know, because that's the way it is right now, everybody's reacting to it. Right. Although, I bet you, to play devil's advocate here for a second, they would argue that the reason that's going to happen is because the SEC is so strong and they beat up on each other during their you know, conference matchups that by the end it weeds, you know, those other teams out. So there are only a couple by the end, but that's oh, because sure. they play such a tough conference schedule. And I'm not saying they don't play uh, difficult teams and that their conference isn't good, but to, to suggest that, that, that 10 teams from the SEC are members of, truly members of the top 25 teams in the country it, it is absurd. And a lot of them are, are getting their due to the the you know group think that occurs every year within the media and that's why i'm so glad we now have a college football committee that begins to meet and starting to sort this stuff out so that they can figure out you know what's what and uh, you know with so few uh, inter interconference competitions now because now you know a number of conferences only play three non-conference games 
and we're going to join that group here shortly as the Big Ten, where when we go to nine uh, nine conference games, we're only going to have three non-conference games. It's going to make the interconference games even more exclusive and limited. And uh, which, as you know, I'm I've never been a favor of going to nine. I think we should have stayed at eight conference games. It was I think nine is a mistake because of exactly this. Uh, and the SEC wisely stayed at eight because it's going to be to their advantage to do so, and they understood that. Mm -hmm. Alrighty then, so diving back into the um, games from this past week, um, one of the biggest upsets for sure, um, a surprise to both you and I, was the fact that uh, Penn State um, lost to Temple 27-10 to um, was definitely a shock. Um, I didn't actually watch the game myself, but I saw on the stats afterwards that they had, what, like, 10 sacks against the Penn State quarterback or something like that? That's correct. And, you know, I mean, it was totally a legitimate win, not some fluky deal where Penn State played poorly and had a bunch of turnovers or whatever. Temple was just clearly the better team. You know, there were a number of people uh, projecting or forecasting this, people from back east who have watched Temple football for a long time, and Penn State football for that matter, and they knew that Temple was a very talented team this year. It's got a uh, an up-and-coming coach situation and is just really poised to do some great things this year. And frankly, I think Penn State probably was a little overrated uh, going into things, especially since their offensive line was pretty pretty difficult last year and, and they are uh, difficult again this year. You know, it's clear they have not made the full recovery uh, yeah. on the offensive line. Yeah, for sure. It'll just be interesting to see how that plays out in the – uh, Big Ten East in terms of the competition for that championship because we kind of thought that Penn State might be a legitimate contender against like you know Michigan State but for example or against Michigan you know but this is maybe making that a little bit more of a question mark so we'll just have to see um, and then the other big upset this one a positive one for the Big Ten was Northwestern beating Stanford 16 to 6 which was another big shock to me yeah, and, and, and me as well. Uh, and again, not some goofy, fluky deal, but rather a very legitimate win by Northwestern where they simply outplayed Stanford pretty much across the board. It, 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 I, it was a head-scratcher because it just seemed like Stanford was flat and just never got going. And I don't know whether that's the, you know, there was the argument that, you know, they were playing effectively at 9 a.m. in the morning because they were flying in from the West Coast. But you know what? It's the first game of the year i can't imagine a group of people who've been practicing for you know a month and beating each other up wouldn't be able to find a way to get themselves ready to go i don't care if you play at midnight or you know one in the morning it doesn't matter you'd be ready you know right. so i kind of i kind of poo poo that that suggestion right well in north as we have uh, discovered at nebraska uh northwestern has a habit of uh sometimes performing beyond their abilities or your expectations in a couple big games. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Coach Fitzgerald's a very good coach, and frankly I think he was a little disappointed in how things went last year for for his team, maybe a little underperformance, if you will. And uh, and so and they've recruited reasonably well, and so I think they were poised to, to take a step in the right direction, and uh, they're probably very happy they were able to kind of sneak in under the radar. But they won't surprise too many more people after that uh, <laughs> that kind of win. 
you know, there's some others too, uh, Alex, and I don't know if these were on your list, but but certainly the impressive nature of Notre Dame's victory over Texas uh, mm-hmm. was a game that, that surprised me a little bit. I, I think it was key that Texas A&M beat Arizona State. I think mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of discussion about, you know, what uh, conference maybe had the greatest depth and strength and whether or not the Pac-12 had it or the SEC had it. I, I think uh, Arizona State's loss in that inner rivalry probably you know swung the pendulum towards the SEC uh, even more uh, and so people are pointing to that as a significant uh, you know win yeah I had uh, both of those games on my list of uh, important games here and the thing that uh, it, I guess it's not a surprise but I just think it's interesting in that Texas has as much money and is as big and prestigious of a program in terms of history and you know, facilities and all of that is like any top tier program in the country. And yet they've been in this rut for a couple of years now and it doesn't seem to be getting better. And I don't know why that is exactly. Uh, how, how a program with that much money can't, you know, find a way to get those great athletes playing like great athletes on the field. Well, you know, Alex, I, I, I'm going to use both a, a national analogy and then a Nebraska analogy. I, uh, from the national perspective of Texas, you know, here's the reality. The reality is they changed coaches. Uh, they went from a, uh, they went from one extreme to the, the other in terms of the personality of the coach, and that coach's personality is is branding the team. And in that process, there is a cleansing that has to take place. And in, in his case, uh, it, it's going from the nice guy, Mac Brown, who had created what some people would have argued was a little bit too comfortable, a little bit too much of a country club atmosphere where you had a bunch of uh, uh, great athletes, certainly, and, and great players, but uh, v- uh, players who were kind of comfortable in their own skin. They, they, they didn't feel any sense of, of urgency or, or whatever. It was a little, little bit too relaxed and uh, comfortable. Uh, and, and part of that was, you know, Mac's personality. But now uh, you, you go shift to, to their new coach, and he is, um, you know, a taskmaster. Well, in the process of doing that, a bunch of those players who are not used to it, you know, they are like, well, this is a bunch of crap. I don't want this. This, doesn't, this is no fun because they don't understand that that's the sacrifice you got to make to win a championship. Well, so they leave or they get kicked off because they don't step up and, and meet the challenge that's being presented. And at the end of the day, he's going through transition. And so, so is that team and they're struggling to get through it. Now, the question is whether or not the uh, administration and, and equally importantly, the high school coaches and stuff who have, who have had to adjust from the good old boy, Mac Brown to this, to this new guy, Charlie strong, who is much more of a tough guy. And some of them don't like that. And so the question is, is he enamoring himself effectively enough with all the other people that he needs to uh, appease uh, while also getting his his own house in order? And I don't know if he's going to be given the time to do that. Because if, 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 if this first game is any indication, he uh, he's going to be in some trouble. Now, he's not going to get fired necessarily, but... But he certainly needs to start looking better than he did against Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and now uh, another one of the big games from the past week was the Alabama-Wisconsin game, which Alabama won not 
handily, but they had the game in control for the vast majority, it seemed like. You know, Wisconsin didn't play horribly or anything, but Alabama was just that much better, which is kind of what I was thinking that, like, Wisconsin had, like, the risk of getting blown out, and that didn't really end up happening. But I didn't really think Wisconsin had much of a shot at beating Alabama since they're just such a solid football team. Yes, and I, and I agree with you. I, I, I think the I think L, I think that Wisconsin uh, played okay, uh, especially given the fact that they had some injuries that really hurt them. Um, and I thought Alabama did what what people expected Alabama to do. Uh, they're the better team. They played like the better team. Uh, they were solid in every respect, and they'll move on and get better. Uh, I, I'm sure Nick Saban is feeling like that's exactly the kind of game he needed to get his players' attention uh, and yet uh, have a nice win that they could build upon. For Wisconsin, I don't think there's anything to hang their hat on or hang their head about, and they're going to do just fine, uh, and they're going to be a very formidable opponent for us down the road because they looked pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then another one of those games that was getting a lot of hype behind a lot of talk just from the Harbaugh effect, as I've come to call it, would be the Michigan-Utah game, which I went and watched in a bar here in L.A. on that Thursday night when it played and watched through the whole game. And uh, it it was interesting. I mean, if Michigan, Michigan was minus two for turnovers in that game, that really definitely made a difference. And they weren't out of the game. You know, they played through to the end, but it definitely wasn't quite the, you know, magical turnaround that some people were hoping for from Harbaugh, I think. Uh, on Fox Sports, they made a point of saying, like, first touchdown of the Harbaugh era, like, in a, like, uh, lower third, you know, when they for- scored the first touchdown, and at, at the end of the game, I couldn't help but thinking, first loss of the Harbaugh era, are people going to start plastering that around, too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, I don't think so, but you, you need to get used to the... Uh the Harbaugh effect, as you're calling it, uh, because it's going to be around for a while. The, the reality is, he, you know, he's a guy that uh, is a magnet for both positive and negative, uh, but he's recruiting lights out, uh, and that uh, in today's modern age of college football is critically important to the perception nationally of how you're doing. It's why the SEC has 10 teams in the uh, uh, top 25 because the media folks are too lazy to actually look at what really is going on, and they don't, frankly, have enough knowledge to look at film of all these recruits and stuff to understand who's really going to be good or not. And, and, and so the reality is, is all they have to go on is these recruiting rankings and such to, to judge you know, how, who's supposed to be good and who's not. And, and, and so as a result, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, at least initially. But then there's always teams that, that break that mold, like Oregon, frankly, has often outperformed you know, their expectations. Certainly TCU and Baylor and Michigan State are all examples of teams that outperform their expectations. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly di- uh, uh, diverge here just for a second about this whole conference perception thing because I think it's connected. If you look at the overall of the Big Ten this week, the, the reality is Michigan probably outplayed Utah but lost because they made more mistakes, i.e. turnovers. Nebraska lost on the, the last second Hail Mary, which is a flip of the coin, luck play, 
that uh, that BYU was able to do. We were every bit as good as BYU, or maybe better, especially in that second half. But we didn't close the deal, so it's a loss in the loss column. But but the fact is, is that from a performance standpoint, we, we were certainly not outclassed by BYU. Uh, if you look at uh, Minnesota and mm-hmm. how they played against TCU, uh, comported themselves very respectably. Yeah, they were sure. expected to lose. They were expected to lose. So was so was Wisconsin against Alabama. None of these are, are a surprise. There were only two surprises: one good, one bad. We've already talked about them. It was Penn State losing the Temple and Northwestern beating Stanford. Pretty much, other than that, everything else was about what we would have expected. Right. Done. Well, yeah, and we we were uh, expected to win, but you know the fact that we were in it till the last second, you know. Right. Right, and and after the first half, the way we played in that first half, no one would have expected us to win that game. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. But uh, we digress into a little bit too much of a Nebraska talk. Uh, <laughs> bottom line is, uh, the this all this national discussion about conferences and all that needs to just be chill out. You know, wait a little while. Let's take a look, see, and let's let these teams evolve. And you're going to see some teams like TCU who's going to be way better, way better in their next few games than they were against Minnesota because they have good coaches. And, uh, and, and Michigan State, who, who looked okay in their first game, I have a feeling they're going to play better against Oregon. Let's talk about next week. All right. Good transition right there. Definitely I would say the biggest game of next week is Oregon versus Michigan, two top ten ranked opponents. Very important for Michigan State's, uh, well, I guess not to their – schedule in terms of like the Big Ten because it's a non-conference game but if they do end up like beating Ohio State and like being in that um, in the Big Ten championship game and being a legitimate national title contender winning against Oregon here would be a big step towards getting them in that top four absolutely this this is a big game for Michigan State it's an even bigger game from a national perspective uh, for the Big Ten uh, every Big Ten fan needs to be rooting for Michigan State uh, because we, we need this to, to shut these people up. And uh, it will position us so that we have two national title contending teams in Michigan State and Ohio State within the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to it because obviously Oregon is known for their offense and Michigan State has a has historically had really good defenses. So to see those two clash, it's just a you know, simple uh, fact or what, what's the word I'm going to use? Formula for enjoyment for a good game, you know, so let's hope it plays well, out that way. Okay, I'm, I'm going to jump right in here, buddy. Michigan State's going to win, and it may not be close. Mm, that's bold. I know, but it's the truth. I think Michigan State's going to be solid defensively, and I think they're going to be great offensively. Uh, Michigan State's offense is just very good. It's very sound. And, and I think their defense this week is going to be lights out. Uh, Oregon, uh, I think, is still struggling with the transition in the post-Mariota uh, era offensively. And frankly, their defense is average. Mm-hmm. I just don't uh, – I think uh, Oregon's going to get exposed this week. Is, is, where is it being played, the game? It's in East Lansing. Okay. See, that does give them an advantage and the – in terms of the AP rankings, MSU is five, Oregon is seven, so they're close. But MSU will probably be the favorite by like a 
couple points, I expect. Yes, I think you're probably right, but but I'm I'm bullish on the Sparties. All right, very good. Um, next, uh, here another big game is Oklahoma playing Tennessee. Um, also pretty closely ranked in terms of the AP poll, so one of the one of the matchups to watch out for. Um, it's interesting because I guess because in terms of the Big Twelve, you've got Baylor, TCU, you know, Oklahoma has to prove themselves, you know, to be a contender in that league as well. And now with Texas A&M's, you know, victory over Arizona State, they might be making a name for themselves as competitors for that, um, winning that conference. So, well, and, but you got, sorry, sorry, Alex, got to catch up, buddy. A&M's part of the SEC. Oh, well, that, uh, I'm still sucking the past, aren't I? I'm too used to when Nebraska was in the Big 12 and things made sense. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No, yep. you're right. So no, no worries about Texas A&M there. But uh, yep. but Baylor put up some. Obviously, they weren't playing a particularly good team, but they still put up some pretty crazy numbers in their game. So interested to see yes, how Oklahoma deals with that in well, the future. Yeah, and Oklahoma. I mean, uh, with Kansas State has had some struggles here. Uh, I really think OU and, and uh, Oklahoma State maybe as a dark horse are the other two teams in the Big 12 that, that might make some noise. Other than that, there's not much there. So, so uh, it's really important for the Big 12 that o- OU beats Tennessee. If they don't, that hurts not only Oklahoma, but it, it hurts Baylor and, uh, and TCU as well because Baylor's non-conference schedule is a complete joke, and TCU just played their most signature non-conference game, which is against a Minnesota team that has historically been, you know, second, third, fourth in the in the in the Big 10 West. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of signature games left for the Big 12 to make make a, an impression. Mm-hmm. And so Oklahoma's uh, competition against Tennessee is is a huge game and then I think uh, uh, in the future like next week there's another game between um, a couple of SEC. I think it's Arkansas is playing somebody. Oh, Arkansas is playing Texas Tech, and and so those are the only big matchups that are left, really, in the non-conference for the Big Twelve. It's it's pretty sad. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking. It's interesting how much we're talking about like perceptions of the conferences in that, just in terms of like the whole media, you know, maybe bias towards the SEC and like the other conferences trying to kind of make a name for themselves. But also, I just think in terms of that playoff game, you know, now that we know that this committee, you know, was watching for things like strength of schedule very closely, you know, encouraging people to play tougher teams in the non-conference, and the fact that there are like these nine conference games for some of the leagues, um, it, it just means that like, you know, if Oklahoma beats Tennessee, and then let's say Baylor beats uh, Oklahoma down the line, you know, the fact that Oklahoma beat Tennessee, you know, if Tennessee continues to do well, would reflect well on Baylor if it comes to, uh, you know, deciding between the champion of the Big 12 versus the champion of the Pac-12, you know, for that top four spot, you know, so I feel like this new system has kind of made those uh, improvements to your reputation by association, you know, because of you beat this team who beat this team might be more of a factor than it was under the BCS. Well, I think that's certainly part of it because comparative scores is is part of the data 
that that committee is going to use, and they have to establish relative strengths of schedule, uh, so that the whole strength of schedule thing becomes very, very important. Um, and that's that's going to play out here again this year, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then the last big, uh, big top 25-tier uh, game that I saw coming up next week is LSU playing Mississippi State. Uh, good matchup within the SEC. we just to see how that plays out. Yes, it, it really will. Uh, I have a feeling LSU is going to win that game. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not on board with the Mississippi State yet. I just. I just have a feeling that they're going to take a step back this year. I may be wrong, but but I. I think that uh, LSU is always loaded with talent, but is also tends to be a little loosey goosey and a little accident prone and error prone, and and so it's a matter of, of which LSU team shows up. Uh, you know, another one that I I'm intrigued by and have circled is Notre Dame at Virginia. You know, Notre Dame's coming off that big victory. You know, Virginia's a team that that has some, uh, you know, a good coaching, had a decent year last year. Uh, I'm curious to see how that game plays out. Um, I think that uh, that's a, you know, obviously a, a matchup between a, com- a, a Power Five conference school and, and Notre Dame. So that's, that's significant. And if Notre Dame is able to beat or blow out Virginia, I think the the level of focus on Notre Dame will start to grow significantly. Uh, there's always interest in Notre Dame, but if they can beat Texas and Virginia in back-to-back weeks, I think the, the momentum will definitely, the, the train will start, start to roll for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that one, but that definitely would be an interesting kind of testing ground for Notre Dame. And another one I'm just selfishly interested in as a Nebraska fan is, you know, now that BYU has beat us, you know, I'd like to see them do well against Boise State, who they play next week. You know, a game that they're certainly expected to lose. Um, But if they could somehow pull that out, you know, once again, that would make us look good by association. You know, so I think that would be interesting to see. Yeah, I I tell you what, I I wouldn't hold your breath. I mean, (laughs) the reality is we, uh, the the quarterback ended up getting injured in our game, uh, and he was such an incredible talent. Now, the young guy who came in 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 as his backup quarterback played well, but uh, I'm here to tell you he's still a step down from the the accuracy and the the strength and power and speed that uh, Taysan Hill had. I, I just think that, um, you know, the game against us for both teams, BYU and Nebraska, was very, um, very significant in terms of the injuries. Uh, both teams suffered significant losses as a result of injuries from that game. And uh, the, uh, I just have a feeling Boise is going to win that football game. You know, here's another one. You, you mentioned Oklahoma, Tennessee already, but another one that, I, that, that I'm intrigued by um, – is uh, uh, oh I've lost it darn it <laughs> uh, uh, I talked about Notre Dame Virginia already didn't I yeah um, there, there was a there was another game I mean I we already talked about Oregon and um, Michigan State against Michigan State but but there was one more game and by golly I I can't oh here it is Iowa against Iowa State oh I tell you what that's a big game now Iowa State's not much but 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 the Big Ten needs Iowa to beat beat Iowa State. 
And clearly the most important game that's coming up in week two of this college football season is the South Alabama-Nebraska game. Uh, kind of <laughs> good to have a breather game, I think, after that you know tough loss to BYU that we had because we're clearly the better team than them if we you know play like we're supposed to play. Um, so I hope that this will be you know a way for us to build up some confidence and try out some things to smooth out the wrinkles in preparation for the Miami game, which is going to be a serious test for us. Well, Alex, that would be an ideal situation, but uh, don't hold your breath, pal. Uh, Here's my take. South Alabama is a surprisingly talented team. This is one of those under-the-radar things that most people are going to say, eh, whatever. But here's the reality. South Alabama has reaped enormous rewards because the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB, which had a fairly good football program, uh, that program was terminated. Um, and when that program got terminated, a number of those UAB players found themselves without a home. And, and many of them transferred to South Alabama. So even though it is a FCS school, it is loaded with talent. Um, first and foremost, it's in Alabama. It's loaded with athletic talent. Now you add in uh, some of the additional depth that comes from basically a, a, a school down the road, you know, closing its doors and shuttering itself, uh, gives it a, a unique opportunity to have uh, an unusual level of talent and depth that just shows up at its door. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, don't be thinking that this South Alabama team is going to be some push- pushover that Nebraska can easily walk out and play the first and second and third teamers and, and hang 50 on them. Ain't going to happen. This is a legitimate threat, and I am not counting this as a victory based on last week. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll admit I didn't know that much about South Alabama as a team, so that does make me a little bit more cautious. <laughs> but I, yeah. I'm still of the opinion that if we both, you know, if both teams brought, like, the same level of effort, you know, based on talent and prestige and coaching and all that you know i think we would win that football game you know all things being equal absolutely we're a large favorite alex i'm not saying that but but i'm just telling you right now that i think the national perception of of that game is way a kilter of the reality of the differences between those two schools and so it's going to be fascinating to watch this this has all the earmarkings of mcneese state from last year Mm mm-hmm all right, so why don't you give your prediction on what the score is going to be for this this game? Okay, I'm I'm here to tell you that uh, that uh, South Alabama is going to score some points on us. That our defense is going to continue to struggle as it learns uh, what it's doing and and kind of forgets uh, some of the things it was taught by the previous staff and tries to learn what it's supposed to do in this new staff. So I see this team scoring, you know, about 28 points on us. I think it's going to be another high-scoring game. This time, I think Nebraska is going to have more success offensively, and so I'm going to suggest like a 48-28 final score. Okay, um, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm, I'll just go with what my gut was. Uh, I'll say 35-21 based off of what we were just talking about. If if they're as talented as you're saying that they are. I got the and if our defense doesn't show significant improvement over last week, I would agree that they will probably put some points up on us. Um, but I would certainly hope that the gains we've made on offense with Tommy's you know improved uh, improvements and everything 
would be able to overcome whatever their defensive strategy might be. Yep, I, I agree. I, I think that's what needs to happen. We need to have some offensive efficiency and go from there. And, and defense will, will find its way. Right. And then a last prediction for the other, the big game within the Big Ten, within the national perspective in general, this Michigan State-Oregon game. Um, clearly you said that you think Michigan State's going to win possibly big. I'll go ahead and give a prediction of, let's say, um, 35 Michigan State and uh, 28 Oregon. We'll just go with that. Wow. Okay. High scoring on both sides. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't. Uh, you, you, you may not be far off. I mean, it all depends on turnovers and things like that. But, but uh, I, I just have a feeling that Michigan State's gotten this circled and is really excited about this opportunity. So what's your score then? Gotta gotta divulge oh, it for us. Score? Yeah. Okay. I I'm gonna suggest to you that it's that uh, Oregon's gonna score. Uh, Oregon's gonna score twenty four, but Michigan State's gonna score uh, forty two. All right. So kind of similar to our your score for the Nebraska game a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. But right. for different reasons, certainly. Right. Yeah. Well. I don't have I don't have any question marks, and I shouldn't be saying this because I don't haven't really researched Michigan State's team. But based on what I know about Michigan State just in general, I don't have many questions about their defense. And I think holding Oregon's explosive offense to you know 21, 24, 28 points can be considered a success. The real question for me is then how good is their offense? You know, as you said, Oregon doesn't have the best defense necessarily, so maybe that won't be as big of a factor, but that's what I am interested to see. Right, right. Well, I, I just think I think that Michigan State's defense is going to play pretty well, so that's why I, I'm thinking only 24 points, maybe even less. Uh, and, um, and I think that Michigan State's offense is going to have a good day. All righty then. Well, that uh, sums up our thoughts on the first week of college football and our preview of what's to come in week number two. So uh, we're going to look forward to watching those games, you know, seeing how things unfold. That's what's, you know, the beauty of college football. You know, even in week one, we've already had several upsets and crazy, you know, finishes, you know, some that we wish were crazy finishes in our case. Uh, but, you know, that's what everyone loves about college football. Exactly right. And so it's, it's on to uh, our fandom of, Go Big Red, and at this point, go green. <laughs> That's right. So if you guys out there enjoyed this podcast, you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. You can uh, find us on footballthrowdown.podomatic.com, or you can check us out on the Podomatic app and just search College Football Throwdown. You'll find us there or on iTunes under the same name. You'll leave a comment, a subscribe, rate, review, we always like hearing from you guys. Constructive criticism is appreciated since we're still kind of new at this. And so I want to thank all of you out there for listening. And uh, until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.